Hey, this is Mike and Tom from Ballpark Bros. You're listening to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio. Check us all out on FourEyedRadio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 81 and is being recorded on February 1st, 2018. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Star Trek Discovery, episodes 12 and 13, Vaulting Ambition, and What's Past is Prologue. This is a spoiler-filled episode. You have been warned. I'm Eric Berry. I'm Aaron Gallo. And I'm Eric Dewey. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention this podcast for 10% off your order. How's everyone doing tonight, guys? I'm doing pretty well. How about you guys? I'm doing all right. I'm here recording with two of my best Star Trek friends in the entire world, and I'm very pumped because this is going to be a lot of discussion. Oh, yeah. We haven't covered two episodes since the very beginning. We talked about the Vulcan Hello and uh, the Battle of the Binary Stars together since they, they literally came out together. So we we talked about them both. Uh, since then, we've only been doing single episode shots. And so this is the first time in a while that we've we've talked two episodes at the same time. And it's kind of fitting because one of these is the shortest episode in the history of Star Trek, <laughs> aside from the animated series. Which is uh, funny, because it didn't feel short. It didn't feel like long, like I was like, oh, God, when is this going to end? But it didn't feel short. I mean, it felt like every other episode of Discovery where I was left wanting more at the end. But, yeah, I didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel like it cut off. You know, I felt like they, they told everything they wanted to tell in that episode. So That's interesting, because I feel the opposite way about mm. it. You did feel that it, it felt short to you? It felt short. I thought... It- yeah, I felt that. I felt, yeah, let me rewind. I thought it felt, <laughs> uh, I thought it felt short. I thought a lot of good things happened in it, but I I wanted more. I thought quite a lot happened, and I noticed uh, you know when I was going through and, and doing show notes for this episode, you had started them already, and I noticed there was a, a few things that that you had passed over in the show notes from that episode. So it must have. Maybe there were things that that I paid more attention to that that skipped over or some, I don't know. When we get through the episode, maybe we can uh, figure out what you felt was missing because I felt it was sure. a fairly complete episode. There was quite a bit going on. In fact, that was one of my only complaint about the episode is that they uh, they jumped back and forth a couple of times too many for my taste. Like they went back and forth in, in, in different places where they could have told all of that story together and then moved on to the next place. Yeah, and a little, a little thing that I prefer it that way, and I know some other people like to be like, just give me a little bit of this, then this, then this, then this, then back to this, then this, then this. You know, some people like that type of storytelling. I prefer bigger blocks, but I still felt it was a good episode, and uh, I felt that it, it they did cram quite a bit into that shorter time frame. Okay, but we'll get there. We will get there. <laughs> so uh, why don't we jump into the news that we do have here? Yes. I was actually uh, quite surprised at this news. I guess I, well, I 
don't really follow her. Uh, I, I do, well, I don't either. So it's like, that's why it's, it's surprising because it's like, oh, there she is. <laughs> right. So Star Trek Enterprises' Linda Park announced via Instagram, I guess that's kind of surprising, uh, that she and her husband, Daniel Bess, are expecting a baby later this spring. Congratulations to them. Hope everything is uh, well with the pregnancy and everything. I, I admit I don't follow her much outside of, you know, Enterprise. So I don't, you know, this this was news to me as well because I I don't even think... I might follow her on Instagram on one of my accounts, but I don't go on Instagram very often. (laughs) Yeah. So it's usually like when I get a notification that somebody else has tagged me, then I'll jump in and take a look. And every now and then I'll think, hey, I should post something on Instagram. I haven't in a while. It's been months since my last Instagram post. I'll probably (laughs) post some more when baseball season comes around again, because when I go to games, I usually take pictures and post them on on all my various social medias. Uh Uh-huh. You'll see some stuff around uh, baseball season time when I start going to games again. But cool. for right now, it's kind of a it's kind of a slow insta period for me. <laughs> insta period. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just I just hate the way that their uh, unordered timeline functions. So oh my god! I always, yeah, I always as miss things. As soon as Facebook bought them. They yep. went at formula, you know, the formula where it's got an algorithm that shows you what it thinks you want to see. I'm like, no. Just do like Twitter. Show me everything that the people I follow post in the order they posted it. If I don't want to see something, I will block those people or I will hide those people. I will do something on my end. If I followed them, just show me what they post when they post. Is that so hard? Sorry. It is. (laughs) So thank God for uh, new sites like uh, Trek Today because I would have missed that. Right. (laughs) But but congrats to her. Yes. Pretty exciting. Indeed. And another nugget of news, also from Trek Today, Gersha Phillips from Star Trek Discovery was nominated by the 20th Costume Designers Guild Awards. I That doesn't make any sense. 20th year of this particular awards ceremony? Is that uh, probably. Yeah, but that's what it's named in the article, so... Oh, yeah, right, okay, so... All right. Uh, It's an award for um, designer costumes, I believe, in uh, science, sci-fi, and fantasy television. Yeah, excellence in sci-fi and fantasy television. Um, But she's up against some stiff competition. Uh, There's the Black Mirror episode USS Callister... Uh, Game of Thrones, Once Upon a Time, and Sleepy Hollow, which isn't even a show anymore. Yeah, I was like, uh, so... was the last episode of Sleepy Hollow made? Um... <laughs> but no, I'm I'm very excited for her, and I hope she wins, because I love the behind-the-scenes that they do for After Trek, and whenever they do a, a focus on the costume designs, I'm always really impressed by her design choices. I think the mirror universe uniforms look freaking amazing. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, definitely. In that competition, I mean, it's definitely stiff competition. When you, anytime you go up against Game of Thrones for anything, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough battle. But I think at this point, Game of Thrones has essentially established their costuming. It's it is what it is. 
And I don't know that you need to, you know, do you need to get an award for the same thing year after year when you're not doing anything different? So I would definitely give the award Star Trek's direction, even though, yes, the costumers for Game of Thrones do a fantastic job, but they haven't really had to innovate much in the last few years. They, mm-hmm. they did all of their design, basically, and they're not really doing a whole lot of new stuff. It, it's just more of what they've been doing, which is awesome and you know good for continuity in the show. But I, I wouldn't give it an award for you know excellence in sci-fi fantasy television when there's other new deserving uh, winners, such as Gertrude Phillips. So... Uh, I hope she, I hope she wins also because the the the, the Callister episode was was also good, but the costume yeah. looked to me uh, very derivative of the JJ verse uh, Star Trek uniforms, which I'm sure it was tension, <laughs> like the tiny version of the logo and all of the fabrics and and all that stuff. Like it it seemed again like something that's been done before. It was done very well for the purposes of that episode. It worked absolutely, but. For them to win over somebody doing an entire season of this brand new Trek show, I, I would be unhappy with that. Yeah, me too. I hope she wins. Indeed. Uh, moving on to our next segment. Would you buy it, gentlemen? Would you buy this? Hell yes. This is uh, pretty awesome. I definitely uh, am thinking about buying it. I don't know yet whether or not I'll pull the trigger. Now, if they do a TNG version of this, I'm all over that. But uh, for this one, it's a it's it's a maybe bordering on yes. Okay, I would agree with you, Mister Dewey. And this time, not pulling from Think Geek. <laughs> this, for once, <laughs> <laughs> this is a book, Star Trek: Lost Scenes, which will retail for thirty nine dollars and ninety five cents. And this description via StarTrek.com. Duo in August from Titan Books. This is written by Star Trek experts and frequent StarTrek.com guest bloggers. David Tawada <laughs> yeah. and Kirk Micheloni. There you go. Thank you, Mr. Barry. Uh, and packed with hundreds of carefully curated, never-before-seen color photos, all images have been professionally restored to their original vibrant colors and are used to chronicle the making of the series, reassemble deleted scenes that were left on the cutting room floor, and showcase bloopers from the first pilot through the last episode. Pretty cool. If you follow, uh, uh, who is it, uh, TrekRec, I think, on Twitter, just post some uh, behind-the-scenes uh, photos from uh, the original series quite often that, uh, that she finds via you know, eBay and, and all these other places. It's it's pretty cool. Like it, it is cool to see this kind of stuff, especially for an older series. Uh, like I said, I'm so much more invested in TNG that if this were if they do a TNG version of this, it'll be a definite buy for me. For original series, it's uh, it's a good good solid maybe leaning on yes, especially if I manage to catch it on sale. You know, you, you catch it on sale for thirty bucks or less on Amazon or something, then it's a definite yes. So yeah, let's move on to the. Topic of the show, Spectral Scans, Discovery, Episode 12 and 13, Vaulting Ambition, and what's past is Prologue, uh, and this is the middle and concluding arc to the Mirror Universe story. Yeah, they kind of came in and came in and left fairly quickly in and out of the Mirror Universe, but... Not uh, quickly enough for me. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of a, you know, when looking at it from a full story perspective, you know, this gives them 
almost as many episodes in the mirror universe as all of Deep Space Nine, which we have repeatedly said is overused the mirror universe. So, um, but the fact that it's just telling one story, it, it makes it a lot different than the way Deep Space Nine used it. So, I'm okay with the amount of time they spent there. Um, mm-hmm. I think it any less probably wouldn't have told the full story that they needed to tell. Um, they might have been able to shrink it down a little bit, especially with that shorter episode. If they, you know, if they didn't care about time constraints and you know took that that shorter episode and split it into the the end of one episode and the beginning of the next, they probably could have you know done it in one less episode. But I'm not complaining about the way they did it. I think it it came out fine for me. I thought, like I said, quite a lot was packed into the shorter episode, and uh, so let's talk about it. I just never want to visit the mirror universe ever again for a long time. <laughs> I could go another 20 years without another mirror universe episode. And I'll be fine. No, I mean, they're, they're good episodes and you know, a lot of twists and turns and, and all that stuff. But I don't know. To me, it's, uh, it's something I'm kind of getting tired of with discovery. It just seems like we kind of figured out all this stuff months ago and sure, I mean, we, we see it actually play out on screen. So, I mean, we're not predicting every single detail. But when you kind of guess the the twists and turns, uh, it's, it's not as fun for me. I, I definitely agree. And I think we can blame Jonathan Frakes for spoiling it for us by letting us know that there were Mirror Universe episodes. Yeah, I think... I think that's part of it, but I, I mean, just like, in, it's not just the mirror universe, it's other aspects of the show as oh, well. Like that's true. the whole Vogue-ash thing. It's just this recurring pattern for me of like, oh, well, the majority of fans predicted that twist. And to me, it's it's getting a little bit tiresome. I, I want them to no, like go ahead. The risk that uh, any show made in this day and age where we have the internet and people immediately after watching every single episode jump on and start talking about every possible plot twist that could be coming up and then people latch on to these things. And so there were a ton of, yeah, we kind of predicted some of this stuff. But if you look at it, there were a lot of other things also predicted that didn't happen it's just that, you know, No, I, I get that. But it, to me, it just feels like when the majority of the fandom is like, oh, well, who's the emperor going to be George O. And, you know, my, my wife even called that like a, a week before the episode and uh, didn't he, she's not online and she's not doing this. Not, she's like, I bet the emperor is George O. And sure enough, she shows up and I'm like, wow, if my, you know, non really Star Trek watching wife that isn't part of the fandom can predict that. And sure, it was still shocking within the moment, but it was like, she was like, ah, I knew it. And I'm like, yeah, great job, Discovery writers. Well, you, um, you got to walk a thin line between uh, shocking people and delighting people that they're right about something. As far as the whole Giorgio being the emperor thing, that was kind of... You, the way I looked at it, that was really the only choice they had. Well, um, sure, because they because they wrote themselves into a corner. Yeah, if they <laughs> they didn't make it hurt. It would have been just somebody completely random, you know, or you know, who else would they have made it that would have been impactful in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, there, sure. There's nobody else that it could have been that would have had any sort of impact on the story or have had the uh, ability to tie everything together so that 
you know, we find out, okay, now we know why Michael is so important to Lorca. You know, we needed that to kind of, so that one, I, I give them a pass on that one because I feel like, yeah, we saw it coming, but we saw it coming because it was the most logical thing. And if they'd have done something else and tried to twist it around, we would have been scratching our heads going, well, why didn't they just make it Giorgio? You know, so I, I'd rather well, say, hey, I saw that coming then. Oh, I really wish they did. So I'm OK with that. And as far as most of the other plot twists and such that we've guessed previously, I don't necessarily think it's the majority because I look at some of these boards. I, I'll follow some of these posts and there's. You know, a far out theory posted on like 15 different things that could pos- possibly be. And there's a ton of people latching on to each and every one of them. And only one right. of them ends up being right. And then everybody, oh, look, we all guessed it ahead of time. No, you didn't. You were following this other thread over here saying that it was this thing. So don't tell me that you saw that coming because you were you were thinking it was this. But, yeah, anytime you have the number of people uh, and online talking about the show's you're going to have people guess your plot twist before they happen. There's unless you do something just completely off the wall that has nothing to do with anything, which the only value that has is the shock. value. like, Oh wow. I didn't see that coming. doesn't add anything to the story and it sucks, but I didn't see it coming. At least I'd rather, I, I like what they've done because yes, I have seen almost every single one of their major plot twists coming but yet i was still delighted every time right with the Vogue tyler thing you know the way they did it was yeah just... the, the the way they did it is is really good but you know the more i think about some of these episodes i'm just like yeah the way they did it is good but is is that it and i i had no idea like i was really shocked that and we'll get to it but at the end of the the episode 13 where suddenly they're nine months into the future I was like, oh, God. And then I was like, wow, that's that's cool and unexpected. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but in canon, the freaking Federation wasn't half conquered by the Klingons. So, <laughs> especially 10 years before Kirk. So I, I've got some gripes about that, too. But I don't know. I And I, now that we know that uh, time travel via the mycelial network is possible, they always have the ability to fix it. So, uh, sure, which, again... It's kind of predictable. Like, okay, so this these last few episodes are going to be a big reset, Bon? And I don't want that, because I, I bet you anything that they're going to be like, oh, and then Hugh's back alive, and it's just going to undo all the emotional moments. I hope I that, that I was glad when they brought him back the way they brought him back, because of the way they had hinted at After Trek basically made it sound like they were going to bring him back to life. And I was like, that ruins the whole point of, right. But the way they brought him back as, you know, was it just a figment of Stamets imagination? Was it just the network talking to him through the voice of Culber or was it actually some residue of Culber's, you know, spirit for lack of a better term, like the nexus. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of, (laughs) it was a definite like nexus throwback for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But why don't we, uh, actually get into the episode? Yeah, let's do that. So we have Burnham and Lorca. They're dispatched to the emperor's flagship, the ISS Charon. A couple of telling moments. Like I, I can't, Keep yeah. talking about the moments up to the reveal at the end of this episode that could go either way. And there's a moment in here that kind of points that direction too. When she's giving him the, when she gives him that shot to give him the 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 number to to help so that the agonizer doesn't hurt as bad, um, makes a point to say, "I've made this custom analgesic as you requested." Like it wasn't her idea; she didn't come up with it. He like said, "Hey, make this." 
do this. So he knew what would work and what wouldn't because he specified to her what to do. And so I thought just that just those few words like were so telling right at that moment when you look back on it. It's another one of those moments that you can look back on after the fact and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that makes total sense. So, yeah, like there's definite, definite hints. And they also flash back to those hints in, uh, you know, towards the end of this episode when Burnham finally figures it out. But I just want to talk about the Charon uh, mm-hmm. for a second because I'm a starship nerd especially for Star Trek. And when I first saw this episode, I was like, oh, wow. Like, they named it the Charon. And because I remember there's the Battle of Charon in, you know, the Earth-Romulan War. And also, I mean, it's named for, you know, one of the underworld Hades things, like in Greek mythology or whatever. Um, So uh, I was like, oh, wow, the Charon. You know, that that sounds like Earth-Romulan War. And then... When I saw the big glowy energy thing, I'm like, wow, that's kind of like like the Romulans when they have a, a warbird with a singularity as their star drive. And like I, I made this post on Twitter with a screenshot of the of the ship. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is to- totally my theory that, you know, maybe because that they had the USS Defiant that they were able to defeat the Romulans easily with the Romulan war came about and that they were able to steal their technology. And I'm like, Oh man, that would be such a great tie in. And it got like a ton of retweets, a ton of likes. And then only to find out it's powered by stupid mycelial energy. And <laughs> and I was like, come on, even without <laughs> the, 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 you know, quantum singularity being the power drive, it still was reminiscent in design to some of the Romulan ships we've seen the way it was kind of like open in the middle and then, you know, the curved edges. (laughs) So there still could be something there just because the the power was different. No, but necessarily mean that they weren't still borrowing some, some Romulan tech or designs in there. But here's the thing. The, the writer of this, of this episode, he's kind of active on Twitter and there was one tweet, uh, where he said, Oh, you know, you know, fans aren't going to expect this ball. And then when this episode aired or, you know, when they revealed that it was powered by mycelial energy, I'm like, oh, well, there goes my fan fan theory about the Charon. And he liked that tweet. So I'm like, great. That's pretty much not where they were going with that. Oh. But I think it's a super cool design. It's yeah. something we don't see a lot of like huge capital ships like this in Star Trek. It's more of like a Star Wars thing. Uh, you don't see a lot of big city sized ships like this. So I was actually really pleased with with the design of it and the the what's past is prologue. I. I love the conclusion to the mirror universe arc and we'll get to it. But that whole ship battle with the discovery and the Charon, amazing effects, all that stuff. But the, the Charon is, is a really great design. Yeah. I really dug it. I, I like the idea of the emperor flying around in this city sized uh, flagship. That's which, uh, you which know, can blow up planets from a distance, apparently. Right. <laughs> because they, they warped a shuttle at warp one to get to their position from the planet. I'm like, well, wow, was, so you bombarded from, like, 
a sector away or something. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't the Caron that did the. Uh... No, it was. It was the was flagship. Yeah. Yeah, because because they said it was the flagship. Oh, I thought, I thought and they that... said the flagship sent someone else, and then the flagship was contacted. No, watch it because when there was another ship name in there. Because they said that the mycelial. Uh, drive that the energy that they pull from it has enough power to enhance their weapons to destroy planets. So I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's, it's a beast. Yeah. If that's the case, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, if you can fit a warp drive to a shuttle, why couldn't you in theory fit a small warp drive to a torpedo? And if which it is of your research and development <laughs> goes into weapons, which I'm sure in the Terran empire, it does. I'm sure that's uh, exactly what they do. They probably have warp-capable weapons. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, tor- photon torpedoes are warp-capable. Yeah. That whole ship is one big weapon. <laughs> it's right. it's cool. It's a, it's a great design. I can't wait for the Art of Discovery book. To come oh, out. I would buy. I would pre-order that in an instant. Yeah. Because they show little bits of it on After Trek, and I'm just like, just give me the whole book of all of this. It's- Please. Yeah, they probably won't even put it out for pre-order until after the season's over, just to avoid any type of spoilers from from anything that might be coming up. But yeah, that's definitely that's a definite buy. Uh, you know, first run right there for sure. That's going to be some fantastic artwork, and I'm sure they'll put together a good book about it too. Indeed. So we have Stamets here. Yeah, Stamets. Spence, the, the Stamets is is it is it Stamets I? Stamets I. Well, like Stam-I. like. Fu- Fungi, Stamai, yeah. Stam- yeah. <laughs> yeah Stam- <laughs> I spent some spent some time chit chatting with each other in the uh, mycelial mycelial network. I, I have to give a shout out to uh, uh, Darren Moser at uh, SETI Alpha Three, their podcast, because I also listen to their discovery reviews. I just I think it's funny because he pronounces it like my cereal network and I always just think of like cereal, like a bowl of cereal. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> um but no, I I thought this was a whole trippy moment. But I, I kinda wanna jump ahead a little bit. Was it just me or when Mirror Stamets first w- woke up in the Charon, did you think like they switch bodies? Because it was filmed in such a way, I was like, wait, did our statements wake up in his body? Like, it was the way they cut it. I was like, whoa, what? No, I I didn't get that impression at all. I got the impression that they didn't want us to know which statements woke up right away. That's why they showed just a tight end on his face. And then he woke up and back and then they go. You know, when as soon as he says he did it, like I knew he was oh, talking yeah. Stamets did it and got them out. And so because he knew exactly where he was, he was not if it was our Stamets who woke up in that body, he'd be like looking around going like, where? But okay, I, I'm fine. just saying that th- there was a brief moment where they shot it where I'm like, wait, what? And then when he I said that, I was like, oh, OK, for, for a brief moment, I was like, oh, my God, I, like I got the impression before he said his line that they had switched bodies just from the way that was kind of cut. I was I was kind of worried that Mara Stamets would wake up and our Stamets would not. Oh, that would suck. Like, yeah. I, I will say I'm so glad that after like four episodes or however long he was in a coma that he's out of it now because I like Stamets. I, I don't like him being this blind vegetable, you know? 
I, right. I love love when he wakes up. It's like he he's he's waking up and he's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> that that was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You can always count on Tilly for a good line. So in this part of the Stamets in the network scene, this is the part that I was complaining about. It's like they, they jump from this back over to the Charon and then back to Tyler and then back to Stamets in the network again. So it's like, uh, you know, they could have done all of this stuff with him in the network at once instead of jumping to three other places before getting back to him. But in this part of it, we do find out that Mirror Stamets is the reason that he's been having weird visions because Mirror Stamets has been trapped in the network for some time and was in there already. Mm-hmm. Our Stamets made his first jump, and that's when he's he like saw him. And he's like, "Hey, check this guy out. I'm going to try to communicate with him." And the only thing he could do was show him flashes of his own universe. So that's why he had the you know as we as we talked about like, oh, did he have a vision of the Mirror Network or Mirror Universe when he called Tilly Captain? Uh, yes. yes, exactly. Yeah. He did, <laughs> you know, and that's spelled out so that anybody who didn't catch it knows now for sure. But uh, yeah, that was one of those little things that we uh, kind of predicted in the past and came to be that that was exactly what was happening. So that's kind of cool. But I'm I'm so like I'm so fascinated by the whole like mycelial network because you know it's it's given us this really cool technology that we never seen in Star Trek before. I just don't like it being used as, oh, it's corrupted, but if it dies, the whole multiverse dies. And it's like, there's never been, like, this isn't the Force in Star Wars, and don't make it seem to be. Like, I can get, if it's like an environmental parallel, well, it's like, you know, Star Trek's done that before with, like, the warp drive speed limit that they did, and, like, the ozone layer kind of uh, analogy. But... Like, the whole... I, I know the stakes have to be big, but, oh, the whole the whole multiverse will die if the if the network dies. And it's like, will like, it, though? To that, at the very beginning, when he's first talking about it, he describes the mycelial network as something tying everything together, the, the entire universe, life, death, and everything. So it doesn't seem like that big a stretch to me to think that if the network dies, they all die. Um... And whether just, you know, there's no proof that that would happen. It's that's his theory, and you know, being that he's so smart, they believe him, and they go ahead and and try to find a way to stop it. But there had to be a reason not to just beam burn him off the ship and go home. You know, there had there had to be some other reason for them to do that, and that's what gave them that reason. No, I understand that. I just think it's a, a sh- storytelling device when it, it's like. Well, if we don't do this, the whole multiverse, like, uh, yeah, the stakes are big, but really, do they have to be that big, considering that we've never heard about this before in the Star Trek universe? Like, come on. <laughs> I guess it's, that's one of those I'm willing to make for sci-fi. I, it, it didn't bother me. It didn't pull me out of the story at all. So it, it's not something that uh, I would complain about simply because, like I said, I, I only complain about stuff when it pulls me out of the story. And in that moment the way they were telling the story, the way it was worked in and the way everything was weaved together. It didn't pull me out of the story. It just pulled me in further. So I, I was fine with it personally, but you know, that's why we have multiple hosts so we can talk about different points of view occasionally. <laughs> that's, that's true. So the share, uh, Charon, 
It's called I, the Charon because they care. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, they, they care right on you so hard. <laughs> so hard. Oh, uh, wait. <laughs> um, so uh, Burnham is welcomed and Lorca is placed in an agonizer booth. And here's one of the things that have been made into a meme. It's a twist uh, I did not see coming. I'll tell you that. Oh, right no. Now. Who Never would? Guessed. Who would oh, see this God. coming? Because... Because when she presented the Kelpians, and she's like, pick one, and I'm like, oh, great, she gets a new slave, yay. Right. And one of them did look like Saru, but they did confirm on After Trek that those are three different actors. So I think one of them, they, they may have used uh, Doug Jones' maybe pole <laughs> of the latex or something, <laughs> but... um. No, who who could have ever saw that? Like that's what made it so sad because I felt that she picked the one that looked most like Saru. Like I yeah, thought, yeah, exactly. She's looking and she's like, okay, well, you know, because they all three looked very similar. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sound speciesist and be like, yeah, they kind of did. Like I could tell after, especially on my second watching, I could definitely tell the differences. Other than height, like there was one that was like significantly taller than the other two. But yeah. other than that, they all looked almost the same. And the fact that they were all wearing just this, you know, one piece, like long T-shirt dress thing. And, you know, so they're all, <laughs> like, they're all just there. So, I mean, yeah, I get it. I get it. But, yeah, it looked to me like she picked the one that reminded her most of Saru. And that makes it even more difficult. It's, it's to bad. Stuff, no pun intended. What happens next? Right. So they end up eating this Kelpian. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and and it makes George Joe's comment so dark. Like, well, you should know what to look for in a Kelpian. Like, right. to freaking eat them. Like, I know they're livestock on their home planet, but now they're the livestock of the Empire. That's just <laughs> sick, man. I'm, I mean, uh, I'm a meat eater. Don't get me wrong. I am not a, a vegan or a vegetarian by any stretch of the imagination. But I draw the line at sentience. Yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> right, right. That's kind of that's kind of my line, you know. Um, yeah, that was, uh, and and it was. You could tell that it was a very shocking moment for Burnham as well. She played it so well because you know she's oh. at this point trying to play mirror Burnham, right. and you see in her face like she wanted to throw up, like right then, right there, and then on top of that, she's like, "Here, have my ganglia." <laughs> Oh, that was so gross. I was like, oh, man, the the threat ganglia, really? <laughs> oh, I can't taste good like that. And it looked it looked so, like, chewy, and it oh, like, I was just like, oh, come on. Like, oh, I'm like, like, like overcooked calamari, like, oh. oh yeah, that, yeah, that's what it reminded me of, like, like calamari with, like, not breaded or anything, just oh. like, <laughs> <laughs> And I bet that's what they used as like as a prop. I, I bet they used that and just kind of stripped the tentacles. Yeah, it was uh oh, just it was gross moment, but but powerful in the in the fact that it shows just how twisted this world has become, that the this mirror universe has become, that they will eat like not only do they have slaves of other sentient creatures, like that's bad enough, but if you don't if you don't serve your person well enough, you could just end up on their dinner plate. So you better you better wash them real good. Yeah, that was a little little disturbing, but uh, I think it it served to push along the storyline to to help us understand how different they are than us because they've been pushing the points of similarity so much. They've right. been 
they've been pointing out the points where it's like, hey, this person wants this, and in this universe, this is how they got it. And in our universe, they're going the right way about it. They're doing what we consider the right thing. It doesn't take much to become the mirror version of you. It's not pure evil, necessarily. It's just a slightly different take. And I love that about this mirror universe. I love the fact that it's not just a straight, opposite, evil version right. of every person. That it's more of, a, it's more of just a twisted version of each person. Each person still has the same goals and ambitions that they do in our universe. They just... They go about it a different way, and that's what makes it so perverted. And so I liked the fact that they did at least one big shocking thing to remind us that, no, this is mm-hmm. a different universe than ours. So I, I liked – as much as it disturbed me, I liked that they did that. Yeah, it was definitely a good twist. And in this scene, we also learn that Lorca and the Mirror Burnham were cohorts – in this universe, and Giorgio was the adopted mother to Burnham in this universe. We already know, obviously, that she wasn't raised by Sarek, or Sarek would have, you know, recognized her when she when she came down to their their base. So it raised the question, of course, well, who did raise Michael Burnham in this universe? And now we find out. So that's kind of a, an interesting little twist, but it also enforces why. You know, it was so much harder for her to like. She was able to fool everybody else. She was able to fool everybody on the Shenzhou. She was able to fit, fool everybody else into thinking that she was the Mirror Burnham. But Giorgio was having none of that. But I also like uh, the implications from Giorgio about you know how ambitious Michael Burnham is in both universes. You know, yeah, it's another one of those kind of tie-ins back to okay, well. Yes, they both wanted the same thing in in both universes, and they just go about it differently, and that's what makes this mirror universe so so much better, I think, than than previous incarnations of the mirror universe that we've seen. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. But also, like in in the next episode, but Lorca kind of implies that his Burnham, the mirror Burnham, wasn't as smart as our Michael, and I like that because. Michael, our Michael, was raised by Vulcans yeah. and had that Vulcan intellect and discipline and the martial arts, which really came through in the in the next episode. But I, yes. I like that, you know, they're, they're still different, even though that there's been similar choices uh, presented to them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there there would have to be differences in the type of education you would get as even, I mean, obviously she would get probably the best education the Terran Empire had to offer being the adopted daughter of the Empress. Right. But it still wouldn't be at the level of the, the Klingon science or the Klingon, the, <laughs> the, the Klingon, science? <laughs> Klingon Science Academy. It's not heard of very much, but you know they have to have one because they have you know high technology. Somebody sure, sure. taking their warp engines. Um, <laughs> in Science Academy would probably be a much more comprehensive education um, than anything the Terran Empire has to offer, even for the Emperor's kid. <laughs> is what I was trying yeah, to. Say. Yeah, for sure, because they're all about conquest, not scientific. Discovery. Exactly. Uh, so we have Tyler and Voke here, and they're having a serious identity crisis and uh, strapped to a bed in sickbay. Yeah, this was a an interesting scene, or an interesting couple of scenes, since they kind of went back. Again, they skip back and forth to something that I think could have been done in one block. But yeah, we see that, that Tyler and Voke are kind of alternating within 
Tyler's body. Like it, one minute he's Voke and he's screaming mm-hmm. and Klingon and and trying to kill everybody and clawing at the bed and trying to you know they they said that he broke two beds already or something like that. And then the next second he's Tyler again and he's begging Saru for help. And the acting in the scene uh, was just phenomenal, both on the part of uh, the Tyler character and Saru there. You know, just looking at him and just the sadness he conveys when he's he's looking at him. He's like, how did this happen to you? Like, what has happened to you? Because mm-hmm. at this point, Saru still thinks that it's Tyler, it's fully Tyler, with just right. a personality put in there. He doesn't know the truth of what's happened yet. So he's like, just the sadness he's able to convey through all those prosthetics is just fantastic. We we see that uh, the Tyler Voke thing hasn't gone away. They have him strapped down, but he's still having issues with this whole thing. And then they come back to that after we go back and visit the Stamets again. Stamets up. But, yeah, Stamets up. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like how this was played out with the confusion uh, of Saru, because obviously they can't communicate um, all the time with Burnham. But, yeah, the way it was played out, I think, was uh, fantastic by uh, Shazad Latif. Yeah, he did an amazing job portraying, like, you know, one second being this violent Klingon trying to get out of this bed and just screaming in Klingon and... Uh, everybody around like nobody else knows what he's saying. They just know that it's Klingon. <laughs> you know, they don't know what he's actually saying. And then, you know, a second later, he's just through help me like legitimate, sincere, just here's a man in pain begging for help. And it was uh, dramatic and impactful and it was fantastically done. Like we mentioned, it jumps back to Stamets in the Mycenaeal network and we have uh, knowledge that the mirror Stamets is being infected because the network is corrupted somehow. Yeah, this is where we where we find out about the whole uh, network mm-hmm. being corrupted and, and at first we, you know, he thinks it's the network is contaminating the other Stamets but then we find out you know, that no, it's not that. It's really the other way around. The other Stamets is essentially poisoning the network. And it's kind of it's kind of getting itself back is what it's doing. It's trying to eliminate the threat, which is this other Stamets. But yeah, this is where we find out that there is some version of Hugh in the network. And it's right, right. not 100% clear whether or not this is all in Stamets' head, just projection of what's in his head, or if it's actually some essence of Culber that's actually in the network somehow um they don't they don't make that 100 percent clear there's nothing that's said that couldn't have already been in stamets own mind you know there's nothing like right there's no new information portrayed that oh only you would have known that so it's it's left up to us right now to kind of decide whether or not this was just a projection of his mind to make sense of everything or if there really is some remnant of you in the network and does that mean there's some remnant of anyone who's died or is it just someone who's died in close proximity to the spores or the right or who's crossed over universes or you know so so what i what i want them to do is probably not what they're going to do (laughs) um i i want them to make it just be like his memories of hugh kind of culminating is in his subconscious because the other mirror Stamets did not see Hugh at all. So I, I want to believe that it's all just in um, our Stamets's mind for him to make sense of the situation and yeah. kind of like subconsciously figure things out. But 
I can kind of bet that the writers are going to be like, oh no, but that was really the essence of 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 Hugh and. What's that little... Is that how they talk in the writer room? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. But, but you know, like, like the whole scheming. Shut up. Um, <laughs> but, but no, like, I can, I, can, I can tell that they're probably going to use this as some, you know, crutch to, to, or some excuse to bring him back alive. Because apparently this mycelial network can do anything and everything. It's, it's the big uh, deus ex machina of the show. And I really hope that they don't lean into it that way. Yeah. I would prefer it being just, uh, you know, something that was fresh in his memory and therefore that's what he used subconsciously to right. get out of there as opposed to there being any, you know, actual remnant. It, it really depends to, for me on how they do it. If they do it in a way that makes sense and doesn't, again, as long as it doesn't pull me out of the story when they're explaining it, then I'll be okay with it probably. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I hope that it really is just his memories uh, yeah. manifesting in that way. And maybe, and they can go back to that, you know, they can sure. they can that again and and bring uh wilson cruz back for another scene or two i would be fine with that that wouldn't be a problem but i do mm-hmm. want it to be i i really think that when people are dead they should be dead <laughs> you know right right for the most part i mean yeah every now and then bringing somebody back is good storytelling and when it's the exception to the rule is when i think it makes it good storytelling when it's a matter of like ah, nobody ever really dies that's when I start being like, eh, well, that makes every scene less impactful. That's why I thought, right. like, you know, to talk about Game of Thrones again. I don't know if you guys watch, but there there was a character on Game of Thrones that died and then came back. Just one. Right. Everybody else who's died, including major characters, they're dead when they're dead. And that's, uh, you know, something that's been a major complaint for a lot of people. Like, oh, I love this person and they killed them. Like, yeah, get used to it because that's what happens on the show. When you're dead, you're dead. (laughs) This one particular person, this one person came back and that was good storytelling because it wasn't expected because everybody else on the show who died was dead for good. This one dude came back. So when that's the exception, then, okay, I'm cool with it. When it's just a matter of, ah, I don't really need to worry about any death scenes because they're never really dead. And not just like a mirror version of them. Like, you know, we get some mirror people back that were dead before like Giorgio and, and whatnot. Um, I'm okay with that when it's a short term thing. Sure. But yeah, when it's a permanent, like, Hey, we brought him back. We're just that good. Or they never really died in the first place. It was all a hoax. Yeah. I'm not interested in that kind of storytelling. Um, but what I'm interested in more is that I really hope that I don't want to say, well, I hope that Hugh's dead, but, but no, it, it sounds bad, but from a story impactful situation, yes, bring him back for flashbacks. I would love to see the fallout of this whole entire arc be the focus of season two. Like, what are all the consequences? Because we're not going to wrap it up in two episodes. I can tell you that much right now. And it's so, so weird to think about. They've only got a couple episodes left. That is just so right. hard to think about. But to, to make my point, like, I would love to see, and he can, Wilson Cruz can come back. He's a fantastic actor, but I want it to be like flashbacks or, you know, uh, Stamets is just so devastated by the loss after, 
you know, they finally make it back home and it finally starts hitting him. And yeah, they, they got to do the whole like, Oh, open your eyes in the forest. And you know, the power of love got him home just in the future. Like, Oh, okay. I get it. But <laughs> I, I, I want, I want him to like really mourn for, for Hugh. I, cause otherwise if, if, if he's all fine and joking around with Tilly and stuff and all hopeful for the future, dude, your lover of like how many X number of years is dead. And I, I want there to be some major consequences with that. And, you know, they, in this episode, they mentioned the, uh, the, the opera that he hates because he wanted to stay with you. He wanted, he wanted to get all in a way, part of him wanted to get trapped in the network, you know? Just, just to stay with Hugh because Stamets knew he was dead. He was cradling him in his arms, and when that crew member found him a couple episodes ago, yeah. So right. I, I just want there to be emotional uh, things that carry on into the next season, and I would rather him not come back to life and let that be a lasting consequence. But they could still bring him back in a way that they could do uh, flashbacks to how they met or how they served on other ships how they got in the discovery, et cetera. And, you know, the whole show doesn't have to be flashback 101, but I think if done effectively, they could definitely tell a, a, a good story that tells about their past and brings them back for maybe a couple more episodes. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, that's the way they should go about it. I, I'd love to see Wilson Cruz back, but if they resurrect the character that just erases all of the emotion from the death scene. Mm -hmm. It just undo undoes all of the, the work that they went through to get to that point. I mean, that moment was shocking and powerful. It was impactful. And if you take that away, if you just bring him back and say, ah, never mind, his neck isn't broken. Ha ha. Um, then that just erases all of that. Like upon rewatches, you'll just be watching it going, eh, he comes back anyway. Um, whereas right now, I, you know, even when I went back and I rewatched the last few episodes uh, the other day and even rewatching that again, it's still, it still gets me every time right now. So hopefully they continue that story. And, uh, like you said, the, the emotional consequence of that act needs to be seen, especially mm -hmm. if what I think happened in the next scene is what happened, then there's going to be some serious, uh, working out going to be needed to do be done between these two people uh, because we see next that uh, Saru turns to Lorel to, to get help for Tyler slash Voke Voke slash Tyler however however you want to term it and super major props to Mary Chifo who plays Lorel and, and Doug Jones as Saru because the two of them like playing against each other oh. was absolutely fantastic. And both of them have this amazing ability to emote and act through all these like layers of latex rubber on their faces. And I swear to God, if these two don't get like nominated for some award as best actor or actress or whatever, then something is wrong because I loved every scene with Laurel and and Saru. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Seeing he comes in there and he's basically 
pleading with her. To, he's like, you've done – what have you done? Because this person is in serious pain, like, and you did this. And she at first is just like, well, you know what? That's what he signed on for. And then she lays it out for him, like, here's what actually happened. And Saru looks shocked, like, holy crap, like, you seriously did that to one of your own people? <laughs> Just to sneak a person on board our ship, like that is messed up, dude. <laughs> like that's the look on his face. Like you, what? <laughs> you did what? Um, but okay, so I, I have a question. So is it is it mainly Ash body? Well, no, it's it's Volk's body. But you know they were able to. They said that they harvested. They, they harvested his DNA. They said. So I don't know if that means that they they used his DNA to alter Volk's organs and such or did they actually like replace Vogue's? I think they said they reduced Vogue's body to a human shell right and so, I I think maybe they they kind of skinned <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's sick and it's gross right. but um like, like part of me wants to think that they just like when she said harvested I was thinking oh man they just tore the original Ash Tyler apart oh yeah, yeah. and and the only thing that they were able to really successfully transfer was all of his memories and personality because that was what was so great about this whole thing was that there there seemed to be this battle internally when the trigger wasn't working and it was because Michael and him were in love and it was something to strive for. But now that, that Michael knows the truth, even if, you know, even if Laurel's surgery worked and all of Vogue is gone, will anyone still want the shell of Ash Tyler? You know what I mean? Knowing that they all know who he is deep down. That, yeah, that's my question at this point, because that's what the surgery, you know, she performs, performs this like fancy laser brain surgery on him. Oh, and first, I, I'm glad that they have all of that on hand, by the way, out yeah, of the blue. Of Why not? Of course. Um, <laughs> you can replicate anything. Um, so, <laughs> well, so, so he, she does this brain surgery and that's, I, I skipped over the, the tech part of it. That didn't bother me, but, um, she does this brain surgery and it's very, you know, he's still fighting within himself, but at the end he's speaking English, but he's still, he's still saying the prayer. So it's like, at first it's like, wait, so, so did she, did she destroy the remnants of Tyler or did she destroy the remnants of Vogue? And it wasn't until she let loose with the Klingon death howl that I was like, Oh, she killed Vogue. Like she gave Tyler back. Like that's what she did. Like that, and the, like, the, what, uh, she would have done the other and erased the Tyler persona. And but then would that have really been a kindness to Vogue? Because then he would have had to re- still live his life in this human shell, which he thinks of as inferior and sure and not worthy, and this, that, and the other thing. So it was almost like a, a Klingon mercy killing. And yeah. when she did the Klingon death yell, that was a powerful moment. And that's when I definitely knew, okay, we should just have Tyler, but now he's got, like, Klingon remnants inside him. He's going to be dealing with this for a long time. Like, the dude's going to be seriously messed up. And I hope that's an excuse where we can see Admiral Cornwell come back for the second season. Maybe... You know, there's a, a psychological element because she is a psychologist and that would be her excuse to be in season two 
is if she's the one that's treating uh, this Ash Tyler shell, essentially. I would love to see that. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome because I do love that character. I think she does a fantastic job with that character. So I, I'm totally on board with her coming back. And, you know, obviously we haven't seen the last of her yet. We know she's coming back for the next episode. So, you know, we already know that's happening. So hopefully uh, there's more coming. But, yeah, that's that's my question. It's like, okay, so let's say for the sake of argument that, you know, we think that Laurel, yeah, it was not stated. So I want to say that it was not stated 100% this is what happened. But what we think happened is that Laurel destroyed the Voke personality, got rid of it so that all we're left with is just Tyler. Okay, that's great. Now he's got his his stuff to deal with. He's got his own, you know, demons to face now. But also now we have Burnham, if she makes it back, that is not going to know, you know, well, she, you know, she's back and everything. But if everything, if everybody survives all of this, then, you know, is she going to trust him as Tyler? Or is she going to always have that in the back of her mind that it's Voke? And, how are he and Stamets going to react to each other? Oh. Now, is he going to retain the memories? Does he have any me- of the memories of what he did when he was the Vogue personality or not? That's going to be a big question because if he doesn't, like, he's going to have this guy, like, totally pissed at him and he's not going to have a clue why. Or if he does retain the memories, he's going to have that guilt of doing something, even though it wasn't technically him who did it, he's still going to have the memory of it. And so that's, I'm really curious as to how they're going to play that. Are they going to, to have him still have the memories of what happened when he was Vogue? Or was all that ingrained in the Vogue personality and erased when Lorel did the thing? You know, is he only going to remember what happened to him as Tyler? You know, so that's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting uh thing for them to do and uh, hopefully future story points because i think it's uh, it's something good to work with well what do you think about it aaron what are what are your thoughts on it i thought that was probably one of the better parts of the episode oh for sure it's definitely like you guys said it's going to be something that we're going to have to deal with in the coming episodes in the coming season i can't see how he would be cleared for duty so i don't know how active he would actually be during season two or if it'll just be like we see him in Cornwell on a starbase somewhere going through some sessions together. I, I would actually love that because, again, it gives us an, uh, an excuse to see her character again. And there's still ramifications. So, yeah, I don't think he's going to be like, all right, I'm back as security chief. No, I, I don't think that's going to happen for a couple of years. But I would love to see the drama of them trying to fix him from the ramifications of this. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do with that. Um, you know, how they handle it. It's really going to depend on how much of his memory he retains. Like Mm -hmm. this is done. Does he wake up not remembering a thing since the battle of the binary stars? You know, is, is that the way they're going to play it or are they going to give him all of his memories? I think they should do the latter and give him those memories to deal with and show that fight to deal mm-hmm. with what he did as Vogue, even though he wasn't in control of it, but it happened. You know, it was a thing that happened, and, and he needs to deal with it. And I think, you know, if they're going to claim that they're touching on these subjects of PTSD and things like that, they need to, to deal with that. It's kind of, you know, 
having it all erased by Laurel's procedure would, would be kind of the same cop-out as bringing somebody back. Right. To, you know, it's hitting that reset button for no good reason. So I hope they don't go that route. Yeah, it's harder to deal with the reality of what's happened, but that's okay. Good stories come out of hardship, and that's what we want to see is the good story. So tell us that story, Star Trek writers. I know you're listening. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they oh, are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's move on, finish up this episode. The episode. when it goes live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Tell uh, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I'll do it, dude. <laughs> so let's finish up with this first episode, then we'll move on to the latter episode. What yeah, we've got a whole episode prologue. to talk about still. I'm so yeah. Uh, so <laughs> to escape execution, uh, Michael admits to uh, Giorgio that she and Lorca are from another universe, and we learn that Giorgio is familiar with the Federation. It's scared of its ideals, and that she kills everyone that was in the room ex- <laughs> except one person. With her saw blade uh, fidget spinner. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is I like when she first did that. I was like, "Oh, cool, a deadly fidget spinner." And then I watched After Trek, and I was like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, yeah. That's the coolest part of the fidget spinner is what it brought to Star Trek. I think. With this scene, I love that she left one witness alive, and she said, "Well, if you can keep your mouth shut, you can be governor of Andor." And I was like, "Woo woo, Andor!" <laughs> <laughs> Yep, there was, there was another Andor reference for you, just for you, Eric. But it's somebody to clean up the mess. You know, she's not gonna she's not gonna clean well, of up. Of course. The oh, she's the emperor. <laughs> but oh man, that that was so brutal when it was shot, and uh, like I was like, oh, sh-, and, and and my wife went like, oh, like <laughs> like cause it was going through their brains. Like ah, uh, it was man, they they are so brutal in that mirror universe. I, I loved it because it reminded me also of Yondo's uh, arrow. Oh, yeah, from Guardians. Yeah, where he essentially, like, she just flung it up there and it, just, it, like, did exactly what she wanted it to do. Like, she was controlling that either with her mind or with some kind of, um, you know, pre-programmed, like, I don't know, you know, it wasn't stated how she controlled it to do exactly what she wanted to do. But And if you notice, like, later on when they showed different scenes of that room, she had one on either side of her. Like, she could have grabbed one of those with either hand. She had one on both sides of her. So that was pretty cool, too. Like, she always has that at the ready, and I'm sure people know that. So they're like, you toe the line when you're standing in front of the Emperor. You get a uh, saw blade fidget spinner through the face. (laughs) Right. And so I guess the biggest reveal of possibly the series, Lorca is from the Murray universe. Bum, bum, bum! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's... So that was, as we've said on uh, many previous episodes, our running theory. I think all of us had agreed that that was the theory we were running with. Although I was, I was the one pointing out all the little details that I thought pointed against it. But well, I you were wrong. subscribe to it. <laughs> but I said, I said, if you go back and listen. I said, I do subscribe to this theory. But here are a few counterpoints, just okay. in case. I, I did say it. All right, all right. <laughs> My base is here. Um, yeah. So now here is the one. Point. Actually, actually, I, I take that back. There were two points in this episode that took me out of the story just a little bit. The first was the one we just talked about, not the fidget spinner part, but the part where Michael was just like immediately like, hey, guess what? I'm not from your universe. Like, really? That's your go-to to escape ed- execution? You're just going to be like, I'm just throw this crazy idea out here. And the only reason it worked was because Giorgio already knew about the mirror universe. Like, Well, she also scanned... Uh, yeah, the she bad. had uh, uh, the Giorgio... Uh, 
Delta Shield badge from the the regular universe, and you know, so she she, she had something on her to help prove it at the time. But uh, it's still just like right at that moment, I was like, really? You just you're just gonna throw that out there right now? Well, you you tell the truth, and hopefully it works. Yeah, I guess. So I mean, that moment took me out just a just a moment, eh, not really that big. But this next one, it really took me out of the moment because I started thinking back. Wait, has this ever been said about the mirror universe ever before? No, that's no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, in in Memory Alpha, though, they do mention that. You know, all the times that we've been in the mirror universe, it is a, a little darker. Like well, the except starships. for the original series. Okay, whatever. But <laughs> in but in Memory Alpha, they they also point out that Jonathan Archer appeared to squint while in the captain's chair of the USS Defiant. But even the Defiant was like, you know, it was dark because it was powered down, so they weren't really bothered by it. And I don't know, like, every time you go to the Mirror Universe, except the original series, like, all the ones in Deep Space Nine, it's super dark over there. And I'm sure that's what the writers were banking on. It's like, okay, well, they've always portrayed it as being darker, and they did give us a little hint earlier like a couple episodes back when michael is making her log entry or internal monologue we're not sure which and she says even the light is different here the universe yes. has some of its brilliance like that was another little hint for what another was- hint another hint that someone pointed out uh, i found out on reddit was when the planet is blown up uh, uh the the rebel planet uh oh, yeah. you know, yeah, or whatever um, <laughs> so, so when the rebel planet is destroyed, everyone on the bridge, except Michael reacts to the light. You can see them all in the yeah. background kind of shift their eyes. And I didn't notice it in my first viewing, but when someone pointed out, I was like, Oh, shit, that's right. And she was looking straight on, didn't bat an eye. And everyone's kind of no, like, she, not only didn't bat an eye, she had her eyes wide open. Cause she was shocked. She was like, yeah, it's happening right here. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that again, because that's something I didn't notice either. I was looking at her, obviously, you know, she was the focal point of the scene, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Everyone, including Lorca turned away from the explosion. All right. Then. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Hey, good, good on them for that. But it's still, like I said, at that moment, it took me out of the thing when she's like, that's the singular biological difference between our species. I'm like, what? Since when? Yeah. Life sensitivity. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it makes, like, it gave her that thing to latch onto. Like, she was already starting to think that as Giorgio was talking. Like, she's like, you know, he chose you. And she's, like, starting to think back automatically. Like, he said that to me. He literally said, I chose you. And then she said something about destiny. And she's like, he literally said something about destiny to me, too. Like, wait a minute. And then the light thing was, like, the trigger that, that like, yeah. you know, that that was um, the yodel that triggered the landslide of the, the the avalanche there. The first time we see Lorca, he's eating some weird squid meal. And what was the first meal that was given to Michael when she was in the oh, mirror universe? The squid meal thing. <laughs> well, see, here's my one question that I wanted to save until the reveal of Lorca being from the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the ship he had for a reason. Why does he have Saru? Was he planning a mail or something? No, uh, I think no. 
<laughs> God. No, I think I think Saru was just another connection to Michael so that she could have someone to trust on the discovery. No, I okay. no, I'm being serious. Like yeah, no, yeah. I like Aaron because he like to have food nearby just in case. No, no, no. Like like because Lorca is shown to be like su- like he's been planning this for so long. Right. And you know, I have no idea how he got assigned to the discovery, but you know, cuz usually captains don't get to choose their ships. But he he played Admiral the sympathy card, like played Cornwell in more ways than one. As probably, I think that he knew that Saru served with Michael for you know fifteen whatever twelve years, and when she would when he would eventually get her on the ship, she would at least have a couple familiar faces. That's why Detmer I think is there because. Again, it's someone that was from her old ship. So I think I think it was just to make Michael more comfortable, even though, you know, they still had a falling out when Michael got to the ship. It, it was still something that Lorca was playing to. And right. and I I actually like that, you know, when when um when Lorca addressed uh Saru that he he'd said, "Look, I I actually came to respect you, and I'm I'm doing this as a, a favor, and and I actually respect your capabilities. And yes, we've seen him be annoyed by uh, Saru in the past, but uh, I, mean, I mean, let's just jump into the next episode because I have some yeah. things to say about Lorca. <laughs> uh, sure. So it starts off. Lorca stages a cute a coup." A coup. Yeah. It's just, the P is silent. I know. I'm tired, man. I'm tired. Uh, he succeeds. Uh, he orders over the intercom for everyone to hear to keep Burnham alive. Yeah, he's still got plans for her. He he says, even on the thing, she is integral to my plans for the future. Like, he's... So I'm... I, oh, I really want to know what else he had planned for her. Like, he had something... Like, I don't think it was just a... I'm fond of you because you remind me of the mirror you thing. I, there was something else there. I hope we find out what it is. I think we already know what it is. I think he saw how much cap- more capable our Michael was to his. And I think he just kind of re-fell in love again and became fascinated with her because, wow, she could actually be a worthy empress if I can convince her to stay on my side. And when they're fighting, this was something that was pointed out when, when they actually start going to hand to hand, he's trying to restrain her like, okay, calm down. Let's talk this out. But she's just like totally pissed. So even up until his death, he was still trying to get her on on the side. And I, I think that's, uh, a bit of a, a tragedy about Lorca's story that that I like. We learn that the mirror stamets is the reason why Lorca's original coup failed. Yeah, they blame uh, Mirror Landry and Mirror Lorca blame put the put the blame squarely on Stamets' shoulders for the reason their original coup failed. So I don't know if he ratted them out or or what happened, but they blame him indeed and he, apparently stamets was working on a bioweapon and they use it to kill 
a lot of people on the Charon. Yeah, it was like uh, how many how many sec- levels did they say? Like it's a lot of decks that they said heavy casualties reported from blah, and they showed like all and, these people choking and, and those sort of gas. And those are tall decks. I mean, yeah, this, is some big, this is a city sized <laughs> ship we're talking about. That's a lot of people. So yeah, we no. We, I just meant that they're very tall. Like they were walking <laughs> down some of those corridors, and it's like a freaking cathedral sized deck. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Those are some long Jeffrey's tubes. That's what I gotta say. Yep, yep. Speaking <laughs> of Jeffrey, I was I was I was doing a flashback to Star Trek Five, and uh... oh, oh god, <laughs> like deck one hundred, and like they're shooting up the the tube. Yeah, that and um, Scotty walking in the uh, in the uh, I guess it was a Jeffrey's tube, and he like smacked his head on uh, some kind of low pipe uh it reminded me of the jeffrey's tube that i don't know if it was a jeffrey's tube but whatever uh michael was in when she was uh trying to contact uh the discovery yes oh but i did like uh they pointed this out on after trek and it's so appropriate that this episode is very like much like die hard with you know burnham in in the ducks and and all that stuff and yeah Lorca's like her Hans Gruber or whatever. But um, I, I did love that throughout this episode that there was none of those like crappy holograms as communications. Like I love that they kind of felt like a like a TOS talking on, on the view screens like normal Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know about you guys, but I, I kind of like that as a throwback. Like maybe the mirror universe, again, it's showing that they're not as technologically advanced well no they well, we no, already know that they do have the well, they do it yeah never mind no i i taught myself out of it i figured it out they already did that <laughs> fine but if they had done that like from her patching in a random pad to a control panel in the middle of some hallway somewhere that would have been out of place the fact that it was only a visual communication in fact even the fact that it was as much as a visual communication was like a, a testament to her technical prowess to be able to do that you know, whereas it, somebody else may have only been able to do audio from there. That's a good point, too. Uh, so, the crew of Discovery, uh, they come up with a plan to blow up the mycelial orb of energy that powers the Charon. We know that the orb is pulling energy from the network, which is corrupting it. And if the, like we uh, mentioned earlier, uh, if the corruption continues, all life in the multiverse would be destroyed. According to Stamets, anyway. Uh, yeah, and I'm <laughs> sure uh, they ran simulations uh, on on there. Tilly. Tilly ran some, some simulations on that. Uh, we learned that the mycenial crop on board has been destroyed by the corruption of the network. The remaining mycenial crop is going to be placed on torpedoes. We learn that the shields aren't going to protect the Discovery from the resulting explosion, and she can't outrun it. What is she going to do? Dum, dum. Indeed. <laughs> uh, Saru gives uh, the best speech of the series. Oh, my this God. Literally rivals Independence Day. Like, on, on well. the scale of speeches <laughs> give me chills when I watch them, it, it was right up there. <laughs> No, I, yes. I I love this. I love that when they finally found out that Lorca was from the Mirror Universe, uh, 
I I just love the line that that Saru said about this is our maiden voyage. I love that. Yeah. It was so inspiring, and I, I took to Twitter instantly and I praised. Doug Jones and he liked the tweet and I got all giddy and happy inside because <laughs> I, I swear to God, if Saru becomes the captain, I would love that. Make him the captain of the discovery because what a growth of his character throughout this season. I would be totally yeah. on board with that. Captain Saru. Uh, in I'm a hundred percent behind Saru as captain. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, he was just fantastic and you know, the whole the whole speech was fantastic, but yeah, when he gets to that moment when he's he's like, This is no longer Lorca's ship. It is ours. And this is her maiden voyage. And I was just like, Oh goosebumps. And I'm like, Yes, let's do this. It was pretty damn amazing. And the fact that he's able to do that again through all that makeup and prosthetics, it's just absolutely a testament to the actor. Doug Jones uh, I tip my cap to you. I raise my glass to you. Whatever else, I know you're listening. Again, you all—they all listen. I know they I, do. I wish. <laughs> Again, I'm gonna when this episode goes live. I'm I'm tweeting them all. Everybody we've mentioned is getting a link to this episode. You guys are fantastic, and yeah, just the talent that this show has managed to pull is phenomenal. It's just across the board. Like everybody involved in this show, the writers, the directors, the the makeup artists, the the costumers, and the actors, just everybody has been phenomenal this entire season, and I'm I'm loving it. And uh, we have some awesome battle scenes, uh, phasers, hand to hand combat, probably the best hand to hand combat scene from any oh Star my Trek God. series or film. Oh, that. The- Phaser battle in the hallway. But it's almost overshadowed by how great the hand-to-hand scene in the throne room is. Okay, did you... I mean, going back to that phaser fight for for one second, when uh, Lorca's team activated their scopes, who didn't immediately think of the Borg in First Contact when they went to the holodeck? Like, come on. Right. Like when all those red lights were coming on, <laughs> yeah, it was, instantly but, reminded me of that. Yeah. Oh, it was just so amazing. When they, they send out, uh, you know, Lieutenant, can't pronounce her name, to say, <laughs> Lord left me alive to send a message. Pew! I'm like, oh, damn, that's messed up. But so Lorca, like that, that's what we expect now. Now that we know that it's Mirror Lorca, we're like, yeah, he's he's not pulling any punches now. Like this is we're gonna see full the full Lorca, if you will, as of right now. <laughs> the full Monty, as it were. <laughs> um, oh, and I forgot, Eric, uh, Mister Dewey, you were correct. We saw Landry came back. Yes, I was so excited. We finally got that Lorca Burnham or the the Landry Burnham fight that I wanted since episode three (laughs) when she makes fun of Burnham's uh, Vulcan martial arts. She's like how quaint or whatever she says about the, the Vulcan martial arts. And I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to see them fight. And then she dies. And I'm like, Oh, well, okay. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) I guess we never get to see them fight. I love that. Lorca also did like did two versions of Landry. Like he, because even Landry in our prime universe, you could tell that they had some chemistry going. Oh yeah. Oh, Lorca. You could tell 
he he is the Kirk of this show. He will sleep with anything. I that, think he's yeah. worse than Kirk in that respect. Like he's just a, a space whore. <laughs> <laughs> For, um, can tell that he plays every angle he can get, and if it's that angle, then he'll play it. And it, yeah, it all comes down. To, and the fact is, I don't think it means anything to him on an emotional oh, no. whatsoever. It's just a matter of, it, you know. Will this person give me more loyalty if I sleep with them? Okay, then I'll sleep with them. But to that point, I think that's why Burnham is the exception. Like, he's almost obsessed with her to the point that he desires her. Because she even says, look, I'll stay with you, but I'm here for your mind, not for your, not for the physical aspect of it. But he was still willing to do that, and he, he was still sacrificing you know, he literally turned his back on Giorgio because he still thought that he could talk Michael out of it so that they could rule together. That's why I think I think he was infatuated with, with Burnham. And he was like the only one that that could win his heart essentially or be worthy of, of an empress. I think he legitimately loved her and yeah, he could plow through you know, all the women in half the quadrant. But <laughs> at the end of the day, his his obsession, I think, with Burnham obviously was his downfall. But yeah, if what you say is true, if if it really was love of Burnham, whether it be mirror version or our version, I need to see mirror Burnham to see what that what she has that does that, because. Lorca is so focused on himself that it would take some spectacular character to take his mind off of himself for even a moment. He is such a spectacular narcissist that it would take an amazing character to draw that away for even a moment. And uh, I don't think we'll ever know. (laughs) But that's, uh... that's one of those answers that probably... One of those questions that will never get answered, unfortunately, but it would be right. it would be nice. But thank God we got to see Michelle Yeoh do freaking martial arts. Oh, yeah. In Star Trek. That was some kick that she oh, did. Oh, my God. That that <laughs> vertical kick. I, yeah. I mean, this whole fight, I was, I was literally on the edge of my seat. And I was just like, ooh, ooh, damn. Like, the whole time, I was just like, ooh, ooh, oh, my God. Ah, it. Literally, this is probably the best thing that's ever come out of Discovery for me. Like, this fight scene in Star Trek and how they mixed everyone's different styles and Burnham's uh, Vulcan martial arts and her constantly trying to do the the neck pinch <laughs> to disable. It was fantastic. Huge props to their fight choreography team because this was one of the most well-executed hand-to-hand combat scenes I think I've seen in any show, to be frank. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It was fantastically executed. It was fantastically shot. Like, kudos not only to the choreographers, but the directors and cinematographers on this scene because they managed to show us, you know, there's like, at one point, there's like four separate fights going on. And then they, you know, as each fight sort of ends, as somebody gets knocked out or killed, you know, it whittles down. And eventually you just have Giorgio and Lorca battling and and Burnham and uh, Landry battling. And you've got this fight going on. And then, you know, it looks like Landry's about to get the best of 
Burnham actually until Lorca comes along and like slashes her and you think he's killed her for a moment, you know, until you see her, you know, a little bit later, like you're like, Oh, okay. She didn't, she lived through that, but he attacks her. He like knocks her out of the fight because she's about to kill Burnham. Like, and all of this is going on at the same time. And it's just the way it's shot. You never feel like you're missing a bit of the action, no matter how much is going on. Oh, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I loved this scene. Yeah, and then the way uh, Lorca dies is uh, pretty phenomenal. Uh, he's stabbed right through his chest from the back. Yeah, he, he had knocked Giorgio. down Giorgio. Like, he had essentially gotten the best of her. If he had stayed and stopped to wait to finish her off, he probably could have killed her. But instead, he turns around to talk to Michael. And, you know, she manages to get a phaser and get it trained on him, and she could have killed him at any moment. And she she harkens back to a point that I made when we were talking about what happened with the mirror discovery. Like it must have if it traded places with our discovery, it popped into existence in front of a starbase in the prime universe, right? See, I don't think it did. Uh, they they never got into it. They never said anything. Like uh, we don't know. See, and I, don't... I think the preview clip that we saw in after truck like their reactions i think like like uh cornwell uh everyone i I think they were like oh my god it's the mirror discovery that screwed up all of our plans and we're gonna (laughs) arrest all of them i i think i i don't know i have no idea at this point with mirror discovery where that ended up being Uh, who knows but, but what I had said was that, a, you know, if this mirror discovery popped into existence in front of a starbase, Starba- Starfleet's first reaction would have been to be like, hey, let us let us figure out a way to help you get home. And that's exactly what Burnham says. She's like, we would have yeah. helped you get home. That's who we are. That's who Starfleet is. That's who I am. And that's why I'm not going to shoot you in the face right now, even though I really should. Um, and then... And then- and then, uh, like, Lorca's face when she's saying that, kind of a realization that she's kind of right. Maybe I didn't need to do all these plans. Yeah. She's like, he's like, I've lived in the Federation for two years now. Yeah. That pretty much is who they are, isn't it? Huh. Hmm. Oh, quickly, before we uh, completely end this episode, I like that he talked about the Baran, the Mirror Baran. And that he beamed up during an ion storm, which is oh, the yeah. exact yeah. original crossover that happened in Mirror Mirror. That was a great continuity touch. And then it makes me think, well, we'll never see Prime Lorca because he switched right. places and died right. in that explosion. Because everyone on, on Mirror Baran thinks that the captain was dead. And probably for good reason, because he blew up in the explosion. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's... It makes it hard to believe that uh, that our Lorca survived in the mirror universe, and if he did, where he was, and if we're, we'll ever see him again, probably not. And if uh, Jason Isaac's tweets are to believed, we won't see him again. He's he's very firmly on the side of I'm dead. This that was it for me on Star Trek. But um, but he's yeah. also tweeted that you can't trust what he says because he's been lying to us the entire season so that is true that is true i i love jason isaacs i really do yeah he was, he's he was, amazing. He was hilarious on after truck <laughs> he was fantastic it was it was pretty brilliant so yeah we we don't know yeah prime Lorca could still in theory be alive if whatever managed to save mirror Lorca from the destruction of the brand maybe something similar happened and saved prime Lorca maybe he 
landed somewhere, figured out what was going on, and just decided to lay low and and and, and ride it out. <laughs> like like oh, I'm like most wanted here in this universe, and they're all out to kill me. Like I guess I better just chill, <laughs> just find a quiet corner of the universe to just you know not be found. We'll see, we'll see. We never know what's happening with with these people. Like we said, he's stabbed through the chest, and then he falls out of the ship. He's kicked out of the ship by Giorgio into the mycenial orb of energy and just disintegrates before our eyes. He was having a bad Tuesday. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so during uh, the Discovery beam out, like Discovery's there beaming out Burnham and jumps on Giorgio, beaming them both back to Discovery. Which the only issue I have with this, because this is well-established Star Trek canon at this point, that you can do that. Obviously, we saw sure. it done in Star Trek Four. We saw it done earlier this season with Laurel jumping on uh, Tyler. So, you know, we know that it's possible. However, why did they end up on separate pads when they transported into Discovery? I really didn't have an issue with that because I just took it as, you know, during when they were beaming, uh, you know, it separated their patterns. Like automatically, so I, I really didn't have an issue with it. I think it was done more so that you know Giorgio could give Michael that look of like <laughs> WTF. Like what did I just gave you a speech on how I was going down with my damn ship, and then you pull this crap? What the heck? And yeah, the look was great. I mean, all credit to Michelle Yeoh there. That was a fantastic look. <laughs> you know, when she looks over, like the did you just do? I I think that's why it was done. I don't think we need to analyze it. Yeah, it's it's a little thing, but I mean, it's it's Star Trek. I'll give them a pass for anything on the technology. Um, But what I'm more uh, concerned about is what the hell was Michael thinking? Because she knows how ruthless this Giorgio is. Spending ten minutes with her bonding in a fight isn't going to erase her crimes of genocide and racism and fascism and Kelpian eatingism. Oh God. I mean, no, I'm serious. What the hell was Michael thinking? I think this is just another dumb decision by Michael. Yep. It, it's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's Michael trying to undo she is so convinced that she has betrayed Giorgio in so many timelines now that she she said, she's like, it's not going to happen this time. I'm going to make sure you live this time. And she saw that she's like, I'm going to beam out and she's going to die on this ship when they destroy it. I can't do it again. I can't betray her again. And that's what it but was. It wasn't a betrayal. She was saying, go, I've got this. I'll sacrifice the ship. I'm going to go down with it. It's fine. It's not on you. I'm going to hold my own. Just get out of here. Giorgio was like, yeah, get get the hell out of here. And I get it. She's going to somehow win the war with her ruthless tactics that are going to be adopted by the Federation. But, I, I mean, yeah, we get to see more Michelle Yeoh. But at the same time, it's like, Michael, you know... She was the emperor of one of the most, like, cruel, like, regimes in all of Star Trek. Like, what the hell are you thinking? And and that sentiment, I, I get it. She she doesn't want to betray uh, Giorgio again, and she feels responsible. But 
I'm sorry, but if I'm looking at the evil mirror universe twin that's killed like God knows countless people, uh, but I, uh, it, it's uh, tough because no, I, I get it. She's she's Burnham is still like in her Federation mode, and we give everyone a second chance. But really, <laughs> the the Emperor of the Mirror Universe? Come on. No, I I totally understand what you're saying, and I agree. I'm just saying that that's. I think where they're going with that is this is just another example of Burnham letting her emotions take over and rule a decision that should have been based logically. And that's going to be another thing that she fights with, because I think we're going to, you know, whether it's in these next two episodes or whether it's next season, we're going to see Burnham fighting with this decision to do this. We're going to see her fighting with the, the decision to, to bring, this version of Giorgio back into their universe. Like, I think we're going to see this dilemma happen. And so I'm okay with it only in the fact that we're going to see her realize that she was wrong. If we don't, then I'll be like, okay, that was dumb. But yeah, it was dumb of her. But I think from a storytelling standpoint, I think I see where they might be trying to go with it. And I'm okay. Sure. With it. Yeah. As long as they make her deal with the fact that she made a terrible decision. That's, that's what I need to see. <laughs> Because she made a terrible decision. Nobody's denying that. <laughs> right. We need to see her deal with that now. So Discovery destroys the orb. Oh, my God. This is the best space fight. I'm not saying it's the best space fight in Star Trek, but the way it was shot and the effects are top-tier awesome. Oh, absolutely. And, oh, God, that effect when the ship is blowing up and they go to warp and we're just watching that whole perspective, that was that was better than some of the J.J. like Star Trek movie effects. That's how thought how good I thought it looked. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. The effects in this particular scene when they're when they fly literally through the oh. orb, photons ahead of them and then they pass through and then they shoot some behind them. And then it like they're riding the wave. Oh, just fantastic! Between the you, you see them going to warp, and you see the fantastic warp effect that they've developed for Discovery, and then the explosion like following on their heels. Uh, it's just yeah. brilliant, brilliant, just absolutely amazing effects. Right, and we have Saru shouting orders on the bridge. Oh, and, and he says he says fire, and that captain tradition that's in star trek and i love it so cool saru's a badass <laughs> <laughs> he has to be now anyway yeah now yeah uh and we have stamets uh so they go black alert ambient mycenial energy activate spore drive we're cruising through uh the network which we <laughs> see for the first time we're wilson cruising through the network <laughs> <laughs> right oh. Um, so it kind of actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it reminded me of, uh, Bill and Ted. Oh my God, uh, you're right. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, um, oh, good job. Oh man. Um, wow. so yeah, they're cruising through, you know, they're trying to, Stamps is trying to figure out where to go. He can't find the clearing. Then he finds the clearing after hearing some... You know, motivational oh, words. What's that? He follows the music. Oh, the music. Yeah, yeah that's Follow right. Follow the music. He hears, he hears that opera that he hates, that, that uh, Culber loves. Right. And uh, I think he says, uh, thanks, Hugh. Yeah. And then, bam, they arrive back in the Alpha Quadrant of the Prime Universe. Yep. But 
nine months in the future. Dum dum dum. <laughs> yes, it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you can make a baby in that time. Uh, oh man, what if Lorca and Cornwell had a baby? But she's <laughs> old as crap. No. <laughs> Damn! Oh, <laughs> medical advances. I is she that old? I don't, I don't think know. she's too old to, to physically have a baby. Like I think she's still capable. I don't know. So the war is looking bad for the Federation. Uh, the Discovery is unable to heal anyone, but updates the tactical map, and the Klingons have advanced and take over large parts of Federation space. I will say this: the map. It makes it look like they've taken over a huge amount, but then they say that it's only like 10% or 20% or something like, like a fairly, I mean, not an insignificant amount for sure, but not like 90 or a hundred percent. Like it, it makes it, the map makes it look worse than the percentage they say makes it sound. Right. Right. It's, it's still not going well for the Federation. Well, yeah. And that makes sense considering they specifically said that they transferred over to the mirror universe before they were able to transmit the completed algorithm for the cloak so yeah they didn't have that information they didn't they didn't break the cloak in the in the prime universe right um so yeah that uh pretty much brings uh the discussion of these two episodes to a close I think if you're going to watch these episodes, you need to watch them back to back. Uh, I think it flows better than watching them individually. I, I can kind of agree with that, except I do still think I, I do still maintain that that first episode of uh, Vaulting Ambitions did have enough content to warrant its own episode. And while now that both episodes are out, yeah, definitely watch both because you can. But when it was out, I think it was a sufficient episode in and of itself. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm I'm with Eric on this one. I it, it felt longer than the runtime to me because there was so much packed in there, and the mm-hmm. beats were so like on point every time. And I feel like they told the story that they needed to tell in that section. So when the final you know reveal did happen, bum bum bum, you're like, no wait there should be more. And then you're like, Oh, so yeah, it it is the shortest in star Trek for the television series, but they packed a lot in. So I, I really didn't have an issue with it, but now they're both out. I definitely agree. Watch them both at the same time because there's no reason not to. Right. I just, I think that they flow better together. Oh, sure. Then it's very much like the first two episodes. It's very much like those first two episodes. Right. Each one, yes, does tell a complete story. And you could watch, in theory, one individually. But I'm really glad that they released both at the same time because I was very happy to watch both of them back to back for that first time. So, yeah, if you're watching them for the first time, absolutely watch them back to back. I mean, honestly, I would watch the whole season back to back. In fact, I think I'm I'm planning on doing that before the finale, not not before this week's episode, but next week's episode, the finale. I plan on doing a full rewatch of the season before that episode. Oh, wow. It's only two more episodes. I know that's sad and scary and makes me anxious and just worried and uh, trepidatious. You know, all of those things at the same time. Right. Did someone say trip? No. I'm... <laughs> so, yeah. Why don't we jump into my quantum state of flux? Let's do it. Here. Because I have issues with your quantum state of flux. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. I have slight issues. But not, not major issues. So, never until 
what's past his prologue do they mention temple properties of the spore drive but in this episode stamets makes a point to tell tilly to figure out where and when they are now i didn't have as big a problem with this uh as you did and only because they he mentioned earlier in the episode that it would get them back home or at least close at the same place and close to the same time like he mentioned it earlier in the episode first of all right and the second but, uh, no, is they spent yeah. way more time in the network than they ever had before every other time it was boom boom they jumped into the right. network mm. they jumped out boom boom this time they were in the network for a while and so time, you're right. saying because because you're saying that they were actually trying to physically navigate the network instead of having it plotted out the side effect is this yeah I, i'm saying that time moves differently inside the network and the fact that they spent several seconds inside the network instead of an instant that mm. that's why they traveled in time oh also so so almost uh like if we were traveling at the speed of light right time to people on the ship would pass slower than outside the ship exactly yeah. essentially yeah so, so I, okay, I, I, I can buy that. Because, because they spent so much time in the network? Because they didn't jump in the network. They were literally in the network. I think that's the difference. Because of the way that they activated their spore drive, because, mm -hmm. uh, like, there's little hints, because the spores were everywhere. Like, it was permeating everything, not just right. contained to the engineering section. So I think that because it wasn't a, a pre-calculated jump and because it was him trying to figure it out and we got that very cool effect where it seemed like they were starting to split like multiverse versions of him. Mm -hmm. I, it was a cool visual effect, but I, I was kind of implying that, you know, if they didn't get out of this network and if he didn't find the path, it, it almost felt like they would have been forever trapped in there in, in, my impression of it. So I think it's because it was a different way of them accessing the network because they were riding this wave. I, I think that's what triggered the, the time delay. And it seemed like they were aware that that might be a possibility because they didn't question it. He just said, you know, also check when we are. So I, right. I think that they kind of knew that risk going into it, and that's what added the extra um, challenge to Stamets, because there's so many branching paths that lead to alternate universes and probably also timelines that because it wasn't – because he's accessing the multiverse instead of a jump in universe, that – this is just another hurdle that he had to cross. And it was something that he never practiced before. So mm -hmm. I think because he didn't have the practice of a multiverse jump, now we're going to deal with that side effect. Okay. I, I can buy that. It just seemed a little shoehorned in there. And uh, maybe I just needed a little bit more explanation within the episode. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think they would have had time yeah. to do it. But I, ju I just needed a little bit more, I think. No, I, I totally understand that. No, I'm not. I'm not questioning your your judgment on that whatsoever. I, I just I let it slide because I those were the things that I thought of. Now your right. second point, 
that you're going to bring up. I do agree with you there. Oh, I agree with you completely, Aaron. Like, like complain away because I, uh, I okay. totally agree with you, especially when they said, Oh, I'm not getting in contact with them. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. Right. So my second, uh, point in the state of quantum flux they are unable to contact Starfleet, unable to receive an automated response from Starfleet, but somehow they're still able to access and download a current tactical map. Yeah, what? what? <laughs> Were they accessing Klingon tactical maps? I mean, like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, we're not even getting an automated response. We're not getting any response from the Federation. Like, they don't exist right now. And they're, But here's a map. Their long-range sensors can't be that good, okay? Right, right. Yeah, it's like, okay, so where's where's that information coming from? Like, how are you getting this tactical map, but yet you're not getting even... Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that one. That was not explained well enough. Like, if they'd, yeah. they'd... Just a throwaway line is all they needed to be like, okay, we weren't able to get an automated response, but I did find... I was able to make brief contact with a destroyed station at such and such coordinates, and I was able to download their last map before they went offline or some, you know, just something right. to tell us where they got this map from because it literally looks like they pulled this map out of their bums. Right. It kind of seemed like they wanted to make you question, did they actually make it back to the right universe right there there was an interesting theory i saw i think on twitter that said what if they didn't jump into the prime prime universe but instead jumped into yesterday's enterprise timeline of the prime universe i'm like that would be <laughs> way too twisted for them to get like that would take two wait so I'm, i've only got two episodes to explain this <laughs> yesterday's enterprise you said yeah well i mean unless they jumped into the 24th century <laughs> It would be the same timeline. Right. It wouldn't have split yet. Right. But at the same time, it's like, well, at least that would explain why the Klingon War is still going on and why the Federation is losing. And, you know, because that was still all going on before the split, before Kittimer. So it's like, uh, okay. Like, that, it, it's an interesting... Obviously, I do not think that's where they're going with this because that would take way more than two episodes to explain away. <laughs> but... It's it's a fun theory to talk about because I freaking love yesterday's Enterprise, uh, and if you, any of you who don't know that for sure, jump back, uh, go back on the website there at uh, what's it sfescapepod.com. Indeed, it is. And uh, look for that uh, that episode where where Aaron and I uh, do a commentary on yesterday's Enterprise. It's a great episode, if I do say so myself, which I do, and uh, we we talk about that episode in quite a bit of detail, and it's uh, fantastic. I love that episode. That's one of my favorite TNG episodes. So uh, I highly encourage you to jump back in time and watch that episode. Uh, oh, and, and listen Spore to, Jump. Yeah, Spore Jump back to that episode of Starfleet Escape Podcast because it was good. <laughs> Just saying. Um, <laughs> so I guess that pretty much wraps up our discussion on these two episodes. Mr. Dewey, if we were to look for you on the internet, how would we find you? Uh, I am available at Eric J. Dewey on both uh, Twitter and Instagrams. Although, like I said, I don't Insta very much, but uh, coming up, I might. And uh, don't forget to follow the rest of the shows on the Four Eyed Radio Network at the Sasquatch Net on Twitter. Very good. And Mr. Barry, how would we find you? 
can find me at trekkieb 47 on Twitter and Instagrams, where both I'm very much active on. And also catch my other podcasts on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, Ranger Command Power Hour, if you're into Power Rangers, all things Power Rangers, which a lot of people are, apparently. So Go, go, Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you would like to follow me, you can find me at Nova Charter on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like pictures of little awesome dogs, <laughs> I have one. <laughs> Uh, and, he's and I take Spock is pretty yeah. amazing. I will say that. Yeah, Spock little... is uh, is amazing, and uh, I take a lot of pictures of him. And uh, we will, I'll probably take some more pictures of him over the weekend while we watch the Super Bowl and not watch Star Trek Discovery until Monday. Um, but yeah, go Patriots! And until next time, live long and prosper. Peace and long life. <laughs> oh, I beat you to it. Damn! Oh, we're, 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 it's two Eric's on the mycelial network. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on Facebook dot com slash sf escape pod and add us to your circle on google plus by going to google dot sf escape pod dot com <laughs>